Hi, and welcome to The Full Bloom Project, a body-positive parenting podcast dedicated to promoting emotional wellness in our children and health at every size for the whole family. Each week, we speak with extraordinary experts and distill everything from scholarly research to self-help books into accessible and digestible daily parenting practices. We're your hosts, Zoe Bisbing and Leslie Block, both New York City-based adolescent eating disorder psychotherapists and mothers of two here to help you help your children fully bloom. This episode of the Full Bloom Podcast is brought to you by our downloadable ebook, The ABC Guide to Body Positive Parenting. After interviewing dozens of experts for our podcast, we wanted to find a way to bring together the most critical concepts we learn to help foster emotional wellness, self esteem, and positive body image in our children. Our ABC Guide is the result, an e-resource packed full of 25 PDFs detailing essential topics in body-positive parenting. In it, you will find insights from the research and our interviews with clinicians, scholars, and activists, combined with additional resources on each and every topic to serve as a guide for parents and providers. So if you're eager to help young people develop a strong self-worth and self-esteem that doesn't depend on their outside appearance... If you've struggled with your own body image or relationship with food and you're determined to break the cycle for your own kids. If you want to effectively support children in bodies of all sizes and protect them from the toxic cultural messages about health and beauty. Basically, if you're curious about practicing body positive parenting or already have begun, this guide is for you. Get the guide at fullbloomproject.com abc. A quick reminder that this podcast is for general informational and education purposes only and is not intended for and shouldn't replace advice from a mental health or medical professional. Welcome back to the Full Bloom Podcast, episode number 39. Today, we are talking about civic engagement with a very distinguished guest, Dr. Bryn Austin. Bryn is a professor in social and behavioral sciences at Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health. She's a professor of pediatrics at Harvard Medical School and director of fellowship research training in the Division of Adolescent and Young Adult Medicine, Boston Children's Hospital. She is very busy because she also directs the Strategic Training Initiative for the Prevention of Eating Disorders, which is this incredible public health incubator based at the Harvard Chan School of Public Health and Boston Children's Hospital. And she's also the president of the board of directors of the Academy for Eating Disorders. I wonder when she sleeps. (laughs) (laughs) But she's not sleeping now because she is here to talk with us and you about the inside scoop on how researchers work with our policymakers to change the toxic diet culture environment that we are all parenting in and what we as parents can actually do to make a true impact both at home and in our communities. Bryn, welcome to the Full Bloom Podcast. Thank you. Delighted to be here. We're so delighted to talk to you today, and we want to start with asking you a bit about your background and how you came to focus on policy approaches to advancing primary prevention of eating disorders. Yeah, I've worked in the field of eating disorders prevention and public health for probably two decades now. And in my early years, I read a lot of really powerful research and writing of documenting the ways that 
the larger environment, our, our culture, the consumer environment, you're teaching girls especially, but really teaching children of all genders that their appearance and thinness were virtues above all else, and that they should achieve these societal standards of beauty and thinness at any cost. Uh, this was especially the message coming out to girls, and there was a lot of good research in, in critical uh, thinking on this uh, well before I started my career and certainly in my early years. And at the same time, there was a, a whole stream of research emerging from the field of eating disorders prevention to try to come up with ways to help kids, to protect them from these environmental pressures. Now, this was great research. All of this is great research. But my background in public health where we focus on that larger environment and looking for kinds of pressures we can change to improve the health of whole communities, there was something missing for me. And it was probably about 10 years in my career when it finally dawned on me, pretty much everything that was tried in the uh, eating disorders prevention world were focused just on the kids. And that is to make kids more resilient. Of course, we want to do that. We want children to be more resilient to any kind of pressures, adversities they might face. But we also have a responsibility to clean up that environment. I mean, the, the analogy that, that really makes the most sense for me is we think about, think about what if our, when our air is polluted, the water is polluted, uh, we don't just want to put gas masks on kids or have people use water filters. We actually want to clean up the water, the groundwater, the rivers, the lakes. We want to clean up the air. That's how we approach it in public health. And what that does is it doesn't put all the onus on kids or on parents to be resilient, to get ever more sophisticated gas masks, so to speak. Instead, targeting the environment so we don't need those gas masks. So we don't need children to be uh, just superstars in, in resilience all the time. We'd like to create healthier environments. And it was that realization that the light bulb went off. We need to be bringing in some of the long-tested and proven techniques from my field of public health used in other arenas and apply them in this case. So instead of thinking about the physical environment and cleaning up the air and the water, let's think about how do we clean up the toxic social environment and consumer environment, the media, all of these kinds of uh, ways that, that children are getting negative pressures, really harmful messages about body, body image, appearance, thinness, how do we create healthier environments so all children have a chance to grow up at home in their own bodies? Yes, it just makes me so grateful for the work that you're doing because I know as a, as a parent and also as working on this podcast for the last year and a half, you know, it's exhausting to make a more sophisticated gas mask, let's say, knowing that there's no gas in the air. And so I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit more about kind of the specific things you've done to kind of move the policy around just your work forward. What I know that you have created or run Striped. I'm wondering if you can tell our listeners about that and just kind of the environment that right now this idea is in and trying to be moved forward to help uh, the bigger environment. About 10 years ago is when I founded Striped, and it, it came out of this epiphany that we need to be approaching eating disorders prevention and creating healthy environment for kids in a really different way than what had, we had been doing in the eating disorders prevention field up to that point. So 
not just building resiliency, creating healthier environments. So I look to my field, uh, my training is in public health, um, really steeped in that field, have colleagues who work on all kinds of different, really innovative prevention initiatives around substance use, around bullying prevention, around cancer prevention, heart disease prevention. I look to that work and said, now what are the lessons here for us? How have they approached creating healthier environments? So the default is the healthy choice or so people are not exposed to noxious pressures. What have they done and how can I bring that to eating disorders prevention? And the number one point that came up clear as day once I you know, focused on it and heard how people talk about this is diet pills, over-the-counter diet pills. Now, these products are legal to be sold in the United States to anyone of any age. Uh, but at the same time, they are not medically recommended. To me, this was at a perfect parallel from uh, the public health field around tobacco use prevention. Mm -hmm. We don't sell kids tobacco. Why sell them diet pills? That was the question we started with to look at, well, how can we start to get these dangerous products out of the hands of kids? We knew there was a great deal of evidence to show that over-the-counter diet pills almost all of which are actually dietary supplements. And that is a category of, of products on the market that are very popular, common everywhere, and yet have almost no regulation on them, which most consumers, most parents, and most children don't know. Over-the-counter diet pills have almost no pre-screening for safety or efficacy before they go onto store shelves. It's quite remarkable. It is. It's alarming. I mean, it's... Uh... And it's also a really helpful analogy, I think, for parents to think a little bit about how it really is no different from tobacco. And yet we, as a society, have been able to think quite differently about tobacco. I appreciate you sort of telling us about how it got started. And I wonder, even though it's sort of flash forwarding <laughs> 10 years, can you tell us all a bit about what you are working on now and what you are finding We've continued a great deal of work around the problem of diet pills. Uh, just a few years ago, the American Academy of Pediatrics came out with a report basically saying no young people, no teens should be using diet pills regardless of their weight. They are not healthy to use. They can be extremely dangerous to health. They're associated with cancer, with heart risk, with um, stroke, with electrolyte imbalances that can be acutely dangerous with digestive dysfunction. I mean, the list goes on. These are pretty awful products. They, they can be. So we've continued to do the work, not just for the, the science base, because actually a lot of research has worked in that area. And it's really irrefutable how dangerous these products can be and how they are not medically recommended. What hadn't been done and where we picked up the thread with, a, with our special focus was on, well, what's the, the legal precedent? We know we don't want kids to use this, but we can't just ban them out, outright without really knowing what the legal landscape is to do that. So we teamed up with Jennifer Pomerantz, who at the time was at the Yale Rudd Center, one of the leading scholars in food law, uh, and which meant she had a great deal of expertise in this area with dietary supplements, which are categorized uh, as a, in a misleading way, but categorized as a, a subset of food. Huh. And... They, uh, through that work with Jennifer Pomerantz and 
other legal scholars, we were able to map out what is the pragmatic steps we can take. How can we change the law and where can we do it? Does it have to be federal? Does it have to be state? Does it have to be city? These are questions you have to ask before you can really move forward on any kind of policy initiative. You, you need to know who has the, the levers of power and the responsibility and where can they make a change to have a meaningful impact to protect children or improve our safety in our environment, the consumer environment. From that work, it became very clear that at the federal level, we were not seeing improvements. And there's a lot of reasons for that having to do with lobbying and money being poured into Congress by the supplements industry. Mm. But we have to wait for the federal government to act. We've been waiting 25 years and we still have this really dangerous marketplace problem now. What we realized is we, states can step in. States can ban the sale of over-the-counter diet pills and also a related category we're especially worried about that targets boys and young men, mm. and that's the sports performance supplements or the muscle building supplements. They are in every pharmacy, every grocery. They're sold in gyms, just like the, the weight loss supplements are. These can be equally dangerous, laced with steroids, laced with banned pharmaceuticals. They're not revealed on the package. A parent can't pick up the box or bottle and know what her or his child is taking. You don't know. Yeah. Could you just talk a little bit, like, can you drill that down, repeat it a little bit? Because I think I, I'm, I'm a parent listening and I'm thinking diet pills. I would never let my daughter use diet pills, but whey protein powder or something like this. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think I would, but I don't think it's in the same category to me as diet pills. But I think what you're saying is it really is. And we need to know that as parents. But it's not so intuitive. Yeah, it, it, they, they've created a situation where it's very hard for parents to know. They can't know the whole science of this, but there is one simple trick, basically, or a tool you can use. The FDA, the, the Federal Food and Drug Administration, requires that all of these products have a big label in, on the back. At the very top, it'll say nutrition facts, or it'll say supplement facts, or it'll say drug facts. You can pick up any bottle or box, these products, turn it around, look at the back, and you'll see right at the top. You could do it on your uh, at home, look in the kitchen cabinet or bathroom cabinet there, pick up any product to look on the back. If it says drug facts, then it's actually got a, a good deal of regulation to test that product before it ended up on st store shelves. That's where the aspirins, other kinds of products like that you'll find. If it says nutrition facts, that's what you'll find on the back of a loaf of bread or a box of cereal. Some of the, you asked about whey proteins, some of the whey proteins are sold as food. So we're not as concerned about those if they say nutrition facts on the back. They're not needed. It's a waste of money. That would be a good reason not to have your child using these. No reputable nutritionist wants people to be spending all this money on what they call protein isolates, where the proteins are just chopped up and sold at high prices in a, as a powder in a box. They want you to eat whole foods. Mm -hmm. The ones we're most concerned about are, you turn around that package, look on the back, if it says supplement facts, you've just entered the wild west of regulation of products on the store shelves. These products are not tested for safety or efficacy before they end up on store shelves unless a manufacturer just felt like doing it. It's a complete honor system which means you and your child are the test subjects. It's not till 
consumers are using these products, including children, when we see a cluster of strokes, of liver injuries, of other kinds of serious injuries, people showing up in emergency rooms, that's when the Federal Food and Drug Administration will be alerted to a problem and step in and maybe pull a product. And how, much, how does that make parents feel? How's that going to make parents feel if that's how the FDA finds out when they need to pull a product? No, it's, it's disturbing. But I think you actually just were incredibly helpful at breaking that down. You know, it's also uh, an invitation to think a little differently about how we read labels, like not focus so much on the nutritional excellence, you know, um, or how many calories, but rather, is this a food? Is this a drug? And if not, it's a huge question mark. And how do you actually feel about letting your child have these things? And you're talking about all the sort of potential risks for damage internally. And then, of course, as we can all acknowledge, if your child is taking some kind of supplement as a means of trying to change their body appearance to look more like some sort of ideal, that's suggestive of a, another kind of problem, right? Which I know is part of what you're, you're dedicated to preventing. Yes. So we are worried about these products for the acute risk. So something that might happen in the immediate over the, or over the course of a few weeks or months of using the products. And it's not just what a, a parent or a teenager might think is a diet pill. This also includes products that are sold as cleanses and products that are sold as detox teas. These are also sold as supplements and they often are made with laxatives or with high levels of stimulants in them that can themselves be very dangerous. And this, in the subtext on the and deceptive marketing, often they're telling consumers this is a way to lose weight or keep from gaining weight or to look beautiful like the model on the cover in a, using those harmful societal ideals of standards of what beauty means. All of these fit in that category of the weight loss type dietary supplements that can be so dangerous in the short term. Mm-hmm. But they also can be really undermining to self-esteem and to teaching our kids values about what's important, what are the ways they are important in their communities, the way they're valued, because what it sends is the message that being thin, losing weight is the number one thing you need to do to be healthy, to be accepted, to, to um, be valued. And the risk is presented as if it doesn't matter at all. The most important thing is to be thin and to conform to beauty ideals. This is such a harmful message. Feminist writers, parents, all kinds of scholars and and thinkers have been writing about this for decades and decades and decades. But we still have these products on the market. And this is what they're doing through social media in your corner pharmacy, the pharmacy that many parents probably trust to get their own medications, to get other items for their household. These same pharmacies are selling products that are putting their children at risk, both because they're sending this message that thinness is the most important thing a child, especially a girl, can achieve, and that your appearance matters above all else. And they're selling products that the the stores don't even know what they're laced with. They don't know what's in that bottle or box when they put it on the shelves because we've got a situation where it's basically – the Wild West or an honor system with very disreputable manufacturers taking advantage. I, and before, I, I know we're going to ask an, another question, but just for listeners who are sort of getting oriented to this whole kind of alternative way of looking at things, 
this is diet culture, right? Just to kind of attach that name. I know that has gotten a lot of buzz lately and a lot of sort of people on social media use this word diet culture. And one of our goals is to help people understand how they can protect their children and themselves from this like $70 billion industry. So we are talking about that conversation is happening within that context. So I just wanted to make that connection. Right. And I think you laid this, set the stage for us to really talk about how our listeners and how you are working on changing the air that we're breathing instead of someone walking away from this podcast saying, oh, I can't, you know, I have to really make sure there's no supplements in my house. It's more like, how do we get supplements off the shelves. And I think that's really what it sounds like you've spent your last, the last 10 years of your career working on is how do we make bigger changes outside of little individual changes. So I'm wondering, you know, how do our listeners um, get involved in helping the air get cleaner, so to speak? We most definitely recommend that parents don't have these products in your house, discourage your kids from using them, it comes down to the way that diet culture gets into your kitchen cabinet, gets into your bathroom cabinet, and then into your child's body with these products. Now, we don't want parents to have to go it alone, though. And that's where my training in public health comes in as being really the guiding force behind the kind of approaches that we use with with my program, Striped, the Strategic Training Initiative for Prevention of Eating Disorders. We look for ways to make it easier for parents, too. By that, I mean we want to change the consumer environment, the media environment, so that parents aren't constantly having to battle diet culture at every turn. A parent can create the healthiest, most supportive environment at home in their family, but as soon as their child steps out that door of their home, as soon as the child fires up their smartphone or their computer, they are exposed to diet culture. They're exposed to very damaging messages and potentially very dangerous kinds of products that are being sold to them with lies and all kinds of hand-waving about how this is a a healthy product. So what we're trying to do is provide some backup for parents. We know that there are so many parents out there trying to create a healthier environment at home. As the listeners uh, to Full Bloom are all doing this, we want to make your job a little easier by taking out these dangerous products from the market and addressing diet culture more broadly through the kind of media advertising and other kinds of dangerous pressures that are on kids that set them up on a path for an eating disorder or a path toward uh, using these kinds of products that can harm them. And it sounds like really what um, needs to happen from that pronged approach is policy. Is that correct? Policy has been a major focus of our work for exactly that reason. We want to make life easier for parents. They're doing so much work to try to protect their children. Now it's the time for our society, for our lawmakers, policymakers to do their part too. So my program Striped, we're focused on three of the main pressures that can contribute to eating disorders and can also make it harder to stay in recovery for people who have had an eating disorder, have gone through treatment and are struggling to stay on a a healthier path of, of wellness. The three areas we focus on, we've talked a bit about the diet pills, the muscle building supplements, sports supplements. We also are focusing on the problem of digital alteration or the quote-unquote Photoshop of the images of models 
in advertising and in social media. We also know from decades of research from the field of psychology that these images aren't just annoying, they're downright dangerous. Mm -hmm. They put kids' mental health at risk, especially vulnerable young people. It reinforces these dangerous standards of thinness and appearance and tells them it's how you look that matters most and that you have to look this way, which is impossible for most people, including the models. So we have uh, legislation now that our research has helped inform. We have legislation in the Massachusetts State Legislature, and we're working with other states to pick up on our research to do similar work. The three pieces of legislation, as I mentioned, to ban the sale of diet pills and muscle building supplements to minors. The second is to give using a carrot in a way to incentivize companies to let go of that kind of dangerous digital alteration of the images and put realistic images and diverse images of models out there in their advertising. That's a new bill we have in the Massachusetts State Legislature now. And then a third area we haven't talked about yet, but is so pernicious, that is weight discrimination and weight stigma. In almost every state in the U.S., it is perfectly legal to discriminate against people based on their weight. People can be fired from their job, denied access to education, getting into college, for instance. There's stigma and discrimination in public accommodations, that's like a restaurant or just being part of social life and in healthcare. It is perfectly legal to discriminate against people based on their weight in most areas of the U.S. Often when, I'm, when I tell people this, they are shocked. Mm-hmm. They are shocked to find out that you could be fired from your job tomorrow because of your weight and you have no legal recourse for that in most states. In Massachusetts, we're working with lawmakers there to put forward legislation to ban weight discrimination in employment and education and other kinds of places where we know that this is happening and it can be so dangerous for mental health, for physical health, and is simply a matter of, of social justice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, so, it's complete human rights. I mean, it's alarming how far behind we are in this, in this area. And we do, we, we, we try to talk a lot on the podcast about that particular area. So, I mean, I am also a parent and I'm listening and I'm at once grateful for the work that you and Striped is doing to engine, right, the research that's informing some of this policy change. But as a parent and all the parents listening and providers listening too, that are like, okay, I don't want to just sit here and, you know, hear about this. I want to do something. Um, which is, of course, our hope <laughs> to inspire the activists in us all. Do you have any specific resources for parents and providers to take that first step in advocacy work? Yeah, there's so many ways to get involved, and I can talk about a few of those. For those of you who are in the U.S., in Massachusetts, or in New, New England, join us on November 21st, Thursday, November 21st at the Massachusetts State House. We're really excited to have a briefing sponsored by Representative. Kay Kahn, who's just been such an extraordinary champion on these issues for women's health, for child health, mental health, and eating disorders. She is the champion of the State House briefing that will be on November 21st. And we are so excited to announce that the actor, advocate, feminist champion herself, Jamila Jamil, will be coming to our briefing and speaking there with lawmakers about why we need to get these diet pills, muscle building supplements out of kids' hands 
why we need to clean up our media environment by improving the, the kinds of ad images to make them realistic. She's going to be there speaking to lawmakers, speaking to our advocates, and then we're going to spend the day meeting with lawmakers all throughout the Massachusetts legislature. So if you're in Massachusetts, New England, come and join us on the 21st at the state house check out the striped website for information about how to sign up for that just i just want to ask you before we move on to the next thing what's meaningful about a parent showing up to that why is that helpful for diet pills getting off the shelves mm-hmm. i spent my whole career being trained in science and research the evidence base this is how i do my work it's uh, so important to have the evidence on these issues But what we also know is nobody changes policy based simply on evidence. They need to hear the stories of real people, how they're affected, how parents and children are affected by these issues. That's what moves people to action. So that's a really interesting thing for me to learn and have to make some peace with is that the evidence is very important for pointing in what direction we should act. What are the levers where we could have high impact? But that is not what motivates change makers, policy makers, lawmakers. That's not what motivates them to act. What motivates them is when constituents come in and they tell their story. Parents are probably the most powerful constituents there are in sharing their stories like this on these issues or other issues that they want to see lawmakers move. That's why parents are indispensable in all of these advocacy movements. We've seen that in other issues, uh, that the very powerful movement started decades ago, Mothers Against Drunk Driving. Of course, we want all parents involved in that. But that was powerful because they were parents. They could tell their stories. For your listeners out there, your stories are actually what is going to move lawmakers. None of I could be doing my research for the next 20 years. That, I know, is not going to move them to act Hopefully it informs how they act, but it's the parents, it's the, the children, the young people, the members of the, the community telling their personal stories that gets action. Yeah, so it's just as important to show up and tell your story and to advocate in the policymaking realm as it is to make sure that there isn't diet culture in our house as much as possible. Absolutely. And you're protecting all the, the new and future parents out there. For parents now, maybe your kids are a little bit older or you've everything's worked out well with your kids. Uh, but there's all, every day we have new parents and they're trying to navigate this really toxic environment we have. For them also, you're helping to make the, the world a better place for them. If you're not in Massachusetts or New England, there's other ways to get involved. In the U.S., we have the Eating Disorders Coalition, which in the spring of 2020, we'll be doing our next advocacy day on Capitol Hill to talk with members of Congress about these different issues related to eating disorders. The National Eating Disorders Association in the U.S. has a STAR program they refer to. That's how they work with advocates all over the country. So you can live anywhere in the U.S. and participate in their STAR program, get advocacy training, and and work on important issues. And for your listeners who are in Australia, the Butterfly Foundation does wonderful work organizing families, parents, and researchers, so my fellow researchers too, can get involved in advocacy to change policy, change law in a way that will save lives. And in the United Kingdom, for your listeners there, BEAT, 
is the foundation or the charity there in the UK that is doing a lot of important policy advocacy also. So you have options wherever you are in the world to Mm -hmm. get involved in this important work. And that's great. And I think uh, obviously we'll include all of that in the show notes and any additional resources. uh, So in case you know, people were trying to scramble to write it down. And I also just want to point out before we, we get to our final question that for our children to see us modeling this, like modeling caring enough to get up and show up somewhere, that in and of itself is uh, an incredible act. And I think part of what we talk about, we want our parents to be inspiring our children, right, to access and tap into their own inner activists, right, because that's the only way they're going to be able to effectively push back against all this pollution. Um, So to keep in mind, too, that showing up at one of these events, one, potentially is what moves the needle in the lawmaker's eyes, but just for your kid to either go with you or see you, know where you're going, I think that can be incredibly powerful as well. Yes, engaging in your communities in this kind of advocacy and bring your children with you. Teach them these skills too. That is the most important thing we can do to create a better future for them. Take them to the polls with you when you're voting. Mm -hmm. Take them to your meetings with lawmakers. They love to see the children, the young people, could be young adults if your kids are a little older and parents from their constituency. They are the ones who they want to hear from. Get involved. Bring your kids that's how we're going to make a better world. So the million-dollar question, if each and every listener took away from this episode and did one thing on the regular to help their children fully bloom unencumbered by our appearance ideals, what would you hope they do? I'll have to make it two things. One of them is to (laughs) focus on teaching kids what their bodies can do, how important what they can do is with their bodies, and take them into the the lawmakers' offices, out into the communities, get involved in in advocacy to make the environment better for all kids. And a lot of schools are starting to do this and youth groups are, are starting to do this. Parents can be involved in this too. Model for your kids, loving your body for what it can do for you and loving your community by getting involved in civic engagement, advocacy with other parents, other kids to make this world a better place for all of us. One of the things that just struck me is we didn't talk about letter writing yet, but I'm just, I know that that was a big piece of some of the work that you've asked parents to join you in. And I just wonder, I just want to make sure we don't forget that. Like if you can't actually show up for whatever reason, you can still show up and particularly with your kids by writing letters. Yeah. Writing letters and making phone calls actually are very effective also when you're connected to an organized Effort. So you can find out about these opportunities from the Eating Disorders Coalition in the U.S., and the National Eating Disorders Association, the Striped website. When we're doing a push to reach out to lawmakers, or it could be to reach out to businesses when those are being organized, it's when everyone's acting in unison that you can really have an impact. And you don't ever have to leave your house to do it because I know the timing of getting out places can be really challenging for parents. You can do it in five minutes, the phone. And the, when you get an, uh, an invitation to write a letter, an email, or make a phone call around some of these issues that we care so much about, take that five minutes to do it and you will have an impact. Mm. And let your children see what you're doing and just bear witness to that action because it's, it's impactful. Bryn, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been such a pleasure. 
Thank you. It's wonderful being on your show. So that's our show. We would love to hear any reactions or questions that came up for you during this episode. So please send us an email at info at fullbloomproject.com. And as always, if you like what you're hearing, we would really appreciate you leaving us a rating or review on iTunes so more people can find the podcast. And please consider becoming a patron of our podcast by visiting fullbloomproject.com slash Patreon so that we can continue producing and delivering this content to you. Thank you all for listening and remember to tune back in next time for more body positive parenting wisdom. Mm-hmm.